This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Sony. Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. I'm Steve Norman. I'm joined, as always, by Owen Hughes. Hello. And this week by the returning Andrew Brooker. Hello. And Callum Petch. Hello. As we take a look at the last week or so in film, including reviews of The Walk, Suffragette and Pan. We're going to start off, as we always do, with the quiz. And it's poised at one all between me and Owen. Me in the quizzing chair, Owen taking on my representatives, Brooker and Callum. This week, for, for no reason at all, the, the theme of the film is disaster movies. And the disasters are all kind of on a global scale in these movies. You have to tell me, by shouting out first, what is the cause of the global disaster in these movies? Now... The science in some of these is a bit liberal, as you can imagine, so I will take a close approximation as to what the bloody hell's going on <laughs> as the correct answer. Okay. So, so the first film is from 2009, 2012. The, the neutrinos, taking the neutrinos. neutrinos. I think Owen got in there first. Yeah. Oh, and the, mut- the mutating neutrinos <laughs> is correct. Uh, the... Only not because of Daro Brian. Yeah, <laughs> likewise. Uh, the the second one in the list is from 2003, The Core. Earthquakes? No. No, the, uh, like the Earth's core's dying out and so they're having to go down and release like a nuclear bomb or something to heat it up again? That's close enough. It's like the Earth's core has stopped spinning or rotating, so they need to nuke it to make it rotate. The yeah. Rotate. Well, you've got the shifting plates and stuff, haven't you? Because science, son. Science. Some, some reason I remember like two films with a similar premise coming out of that, like The Corm and like another film with a somewhat similar premise coming out around that time. Unless I'm just thinking of Sunshine. No, that seems to be what happens. They all work in that that sort of pattern. You get two at the same time. Steve's got into this on the podcast before. Yeah, you have like you have like Armageddon and Apollo Arm- thirteen. No, Armageddon and Deep Impact. That was it. Is that is probably the biggest one. And Volcano and Dante's Peak. Yes, that's the, that's the kind of thing. We just can't get enough of these shitty, horrible disaster movies, apparently. Yes. Anyway, next Brad up... Brad Bird would be very disappointed. <laughs> we're going back a bit for this one. 1964 and Cracking the World. 
That's got to be an earthquake. Um, it's Co- a comet no. hitting the planet and splitting it. Who's that? No, no. I wouldn't uh. say it's. An, I wouldn't say it's earthquakes, or it's definitely not comets. But okay. I wouldn't say earthquakes. Idle waves or something like shifting of plates, equal like leading to things like tidal waves and volcano eruptions or something. I don't know. No, I'll let both teams have one more guess each. What's it called again? What's the film? Crackinos. Crack in the world. It's not. It's not volcanoes. Crack in the world or yes. cracking. Crack in the world. As a heroin crisis. <laughs> no. 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 <laughs> uh, basically, some scientists go into the core of the Earth to research geothermal energy and unleash a cataclysmic event that splits to, uh, threatens to split the world in half <laughs> or in two, whichever way you want to look at it. That would be half. Or in two, well, it would be two pieces. Yeah, you could have just had a tiny bit. You could have just blasted <laughs> Norwich off the off the face of the earth. I don't think they're working. Worst things could happen. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so next up is the day after tomorrow. Global warming. I think I think we can accept global warming. It was some perverted version of it, but yes. <laughs> What's the, what are we at so far? What's the score? Uh, it's two one to Brooker and Callum. Fuck's sake! How many have we got? Just one more. Okay. And that's sunshine. Oh, sunshine. sunshine. The sun's I think Callum was in first there <sighs> with the sun dying, which means Callum and Brooker win, which puts me in the lead 2 1 overall. So if I win next week, Owen, I'm making you watch something. You can I love try. that I get well, to that's win by proxy, even though I've done nothing. <laughs> well, that's how the thing works, is if you win, you get to force Owen to watch something. So Yeah, that's my prize, is making him watch something. It doesn't say that sexy. When you put it like that, it's, it's not, me- it's not meant to be set. It's not meant to be sexy. Really? You're ruining people's fan point. fiction, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> Failed critics, erotic fan fiction. There's <laughs> some out there. Yeah. I should stop posting it, really. Anyway, we're going to talk about some film news now. And uh, the website has had a bit of a redesign, has it not, Owen? It has, yes. So basically, what happened was. The website has been the same for a long time. Uh, and when it was set up, it was fine because it it was perfect for what we used the website for, which was mainly the sort of blurb for our podcasts that went up there. Uh, and we had very sporadic blog articles that also got posted. Over time, the website, as we used it, has changed. But the this, this sort of format of it has stayed the same. So we've had a bit of a... We've spruced it up a little bit over the weekend it's, it's been changed so if you haven't been to the website over the past few days take a look have a look and let us know what you think because uh, i'm quite pleased with it i'm i think it's looking a lot better now that might just be me you might all hate it so yeah if you could just give me your feedback that would be great and if there's any changes if there's anything not working for example just just tell me and we'll we'll try and get on it but I, i'm quite pleased with it have you guys all seen it i hope you've all seen it much in, much improved Lovely and new and shiny and chrome. I like it. Looks yeah. all sexy. It looks all sexy, much like this podcast. Yeah, that's it. That's, uh, that's what I, I went for. I thought, what's the most sexy thing I can think of to give me some inspiration? It's the podcast. Of course it's the podcast. Yeah, if, if, if I could do a, a good impression of an 80s saxophone right now, I would totally be doing it. Yeah, 
Yes, and on to actual film news. It seems to be a long while since we've done anything superhero-related in the news section. There was a little while ago where every news item we did seemed to be based around a superhero movie. But Marvel have released further plans for Phase 3. Yeah, so um, I don't know if it was expected that it definitely would happen. I guess they were just waiting to sort of gauge the uh, the reaction to Ant-Man. But they have now announced a sequel. It seemed inevitable to anyone who's actually watched the film um, from the way it ends. Uh, or no, it's in the, the, the sort of stinger at the end. And that wasn't a pun. That wasn't a pun about the stinger. Because the, the new film's called Ant-Man and the Wasp. You wish it was a pun, though, didn't you? I know, wish, I wish. As you wish you'd set it, yourself up for that. You should have put more emphasis on it. But it was, yeah, Ant-Man and you the Wasp. You should have just said it was a pun. You shouldn't have, like, you know, broken the illusion. The, the the audience would have known in their hearts that it was a lie. That's also a setup for a film we're going to talk about later. Um, Ant-Man and the <laughs> Wasp. Yeah, um, so Hope Van Dyne's character, um, it, it will we, we presume, will be a sort of sidekick to Ant-Man, a partner to Ant-Man. Details haven't really been announced other than the title and the date. The date it's going to be released is July the 6th, 2018, which is pushing Black Panther forward to February. Um, so that either means they're very confident with Black Panther and how it's progressing, or that will also get delayed. And well, they haven't even got a script space. ready yet. So. Mm, mm. However, it is also interesting to know as well that it's now been pushed forward to, to the middle of, ba- of Black History Month. Oh, has it? Oh. Yeah. It's always Black History Month. Well, yeah, well, that's true. Yeah, but you know, <laughs> we've just the officially done... sanctioned by the government, by the white government bodies of the world, Black History Month. But that's kind of cool that there's an official, official date for it, and Black Panther's been moved there. I think that's quite canny. I think that's mm. a good thing because he's sort of the first black superhero. Uh, so, you know, yeah, I haven't really got a problem with that. We'll see how see how it goes, and also, um, it's pushed back Captain Marvel, which will annoy some people i'm guessing one of those is on our on our podcast at the minute the, the, the thing the thing that annoys me about this is not just like that captain marvel's been pushed back again but it's also like in the press release marvel proudly like proudly touts the fact that ant-man and the wasp is the fir- is their first movie with a female superhero in the title they mm. don't get to do that they they don't get to brag about that for three reasons one by the time Ant-Man and the Wasp comes out, it will have been a decade since they started releasing films. Yeah. Ten years. Two, it's not even a solo headline movie. It's co-headlining Ant-Man and the Wasp. About like, intru- like As if it's like Ant-Man introducing the Wasp kind of thing. <laughs> no. And for three, once a fucking again, they push back Captain Marvel. Like, it's, it, they, they don't get to brag about this shit. In the same way as well that... that I'm saying this as a Marvel fan as well, and as somebody who really liked Ant-Man. They don't get to do this. Like, the Hope stuff in Ant-Man really annoyed me because of the whole meta text in it of, you know, of them commenting, oh, why doesn't Hope be in the suit yet? We get it, see, we get it, we should be, we get it. We, we, hear, we hear you, but we should be doing more female superheroes. They're not the ones who should be allowed to sit there and make fun of that fact instead of actually changing anything. I wrote a piece about this, obviously, because of course I did. <laughs> so it just, again, it, it annoys me greatly. They don't get to brag about this. They'll be like 2030 and they'll still be pushing back Captain Marvel and pulling this shit and I'll still be getting getting disappointed and angry at it. I can can tell you one reason why they can brag about it, though. They're Marvel, they make the films and they make so much money off and they can do pretty much what they want. 
Also, I'd like to know as well, um, DC was still beating them to the whole female superhero thing a year before. With Wonder yeah, Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman. Which get pushed back. And at the same time, DC don't get to brag about that either, considering the fact that it's taken, what, like 60 years for Wonder Woman to actually come to the big screen. And how, actually, no, her first appearance was in the Lego movie. She had a TV. Year. She had a TV series, a whole TV series. Yeah, yeah, but not an actual movie. Like Batman's gone through like seven iterations by this point. Yeah, and had a TV series as well. Wonder Woman is. I don't, I, I think she's only pushed as the big superhero character for them because she's female. To be honest, there is there is nothing really that interesting about her character, and I've never read a comic where her, her a solo Wonder Woman story where she's been great. And it's been interesting to read. She's always worked better with other superheroes. Um, I, 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 well, again, of course, I mean, in general, she just hasn't appeared in big screen at all. Yeah. Like but, but also, again, I must admit here as well, um, I don't read comics in that here, but I am still attempting to just be about the whole gender equality thing. So. Well, yeah, that is, that is an issue, yeah. Yeah. So that, that's my soapboxing done. You can get back to your podcast now. <laughs> the, the only other thing to sort of, um, say about that is they've announced three other dates for 2020 may 1st july 10th and november 6th but we don't know what those films will be yet they've not given titles for those so maybe it could be phase four marvel well it could be they're just going to push captain marvel through each of those dates until she goes into 2021 i'm i for some reason i'm expecting one of those to involve a certain return of a certain fantastic four to people who won't just shit out ash copies and expect public to pay for them, <laughs> mm. ash cans even. Sorry. Yeah. Well, all we all we all we do know is they told us the Inhumans is the final film of Phase Three, and that comes out the year before. So presumably it will be a new, completely new phase of Marvel. I've heard rumors keep... going around that um, the Inhumans movie is actually being scrapped as well. Probably because they... but, but, but those rumours are probably going around just because of how absolutely bit chock a block busy the schedule is at the moment. So, mm. well, I um, I don't really like Agents of Shield. In fact, I've pretty much stopped watching it. But that was that that last season was where they were starting to introduce the idea of the Inhumans, and it was pretty crap. <laughs> it was just awful. So maybe the reaction to that is well, maybe not because that seems to still be unbelievably popular. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I can't get my mind around the fact that people love that. It's just utter shit. Especially when Marvel is still doing stuff like Daredevil with Netflix, which is brilliant. And why is... It? Anyway, I'll, I'll stop because... Have you seen the the not-quite-a-trailer for season two of Daredevil yet? No. Oh. I didn't realise that was out. It, oh. it leaked yesterday, oh. and the official one is floating around like this evening. It's got the fucking Punisher in it. I'm so happy. Yeah, I heard about this. It's going to... Oh, remind me who's playing him. John Ber- Bernthal? Shane. Shane, Shane from The Walking Dead. Dead. Yeah. yeah. Who always he, rubs his head. Rub his scalp a lot. Probably. <laughs> but yeah, he... You see him for like two seconds and you don't even officially see it's him. But I still scream like a little girl. Because <laughs> I, of all the Marvel fucking characters, he's my top one. I love that dude. And I cannot I, wait to see him in Daredevil. Can I also just sit here quickly as well and use this Punisher talk here to reference it? A, I actually like that first Thomas Jane movie. And second, yeah, and, second also mention, yeah. and second also to mention that the um, Punisher video game from 2005 was amazing. If you have a, like PlayStation 2, you should dig it out if you can in like CX shops. Okay. Uh, final bit of news then. The trailer for Netflix's first original movie has been released. That's uh, 
beasts of no nation. I suppose A, what did we think of the trailer? And B, what did we think of them moving from making TV shows to now making feature films? Well, the, the first thing there is the, the trailer, I guess, for Beasts of No Nation. Brooker, I know you've seen it as well. I have. The plot appears to follow a kind of, uh, would you call him a warlord or some kind of guy in an African nation played by Idris Elba yeah. who uses child soldiers. Yeah. Um, but the, the, the exact details of the plot haven't really fully emerged yet. I don't think, um, I don't think they will until it comes out at the end of the week i don't exactly yeah i don't think it's the kind of film that you need a synopsis for that's about as much as you need isn't it uh mm-hmm. african warlord uses child soldiers have a butchers at that is pretty much all you need yeah but i thought it looked quite good at least the cinematography in it looks quite good. the story scenes from the I'm, trailer the way they paint it looks really interesting i'm, I'm almost certain that i'm gonna sit and watch it at the weekend and ball my eyes out yeah, All, almost positive of that. <laughs> yeah, it's got. It looks like it'll be very emotional. Um, uh, is it, I realise this is just the whole Netflix model where they don't even release trailers to like a week before anyway. But does anybody mm-hmm. else find it kind of worrying that they haven't released a trailer until one week before the film comes out? Like, well, because normally, normally, of course, the typical trailer is to release them several months in advance, Kathleen, but of course, at the same time, Netflix normally doesn't release trailers or stuff like that until a week before. No, so, they're just sticking to the standard Netflix model. doesn't matter that it's a movie. It's, yeah. it's just a Netflix thing, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's that's okay. Half, yeah. And I think you get to, you literally you get to sell this film without a trailer on Netflix have made a film starring Idris Elba. I think that's okay. And Netflix by and yeah, it's written and directed by Carrie Fukunaga, who's fucking amazing. You know, I, from True Detective. That's... Uh, yeah, and he yeah. made a film called Sin Nombre as well, which if you haven't seen, I absolutely recommend. Go and watch it; it's amazing. First yeah. season of True Detective, Owen. Don't worry. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I've made my opinions clear about True Detective in the past. <laughs> um, I still haven't yeah. watched True Detective. What I find really interesting, actually, about Beasts of No Nation is the fact that they're giving it limited theatrical release as well, so they can chase Oscars with it. Yeah, and so, also because no one will release it because it's um uh, the the point is that Netflix wanted to release it in cinemas and on their own service at the same time and yeah. there's rules against that so you can't you know some, there are a lot of theaters Cineworld in the UK for example won't yeah they don't like doing that. that sort of thing like uh, um a field in England was the same yeah. that was released in theaters but that was kind of like a stunt a one off. Um, Generally, and Cineworld still didn't participate in no. that. They wouldn't do it. There's lots of larger chains that won't. I, I for, obvious like reasons, though, for obvious reasons. You know, as as things like this happen more, because because a Netflix financing Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon two. Well, that was going to be there yeah. yeah. So I mean, as things like this happen more, so Netflix release a film, limited theatrical release. Pretty much the only reason is so the Academy can see it. Uh, but I think as bigger names do this, I think chains like Cineworld and Odeon and that, they have to go, maybe we need to show this. Because they're getting... You know, people will still go to cinema to watch it. If I find the time and somewhere local that's showing it, I'd gladly go and watch a Netflix film on a big yeah. screen. Well, they all do events, event cinema, you know? Yeah. Like, they'll show Doctor Who live. I don't want to watch I... fucking opera. Exactly. I don't, I'm not talking about Doctor Who. But the, it's kind of hypocritical in that they will do something like that 
as well as, but you know, I guess it's slightly different mediums. But I think um, like this will push the 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 same time releasing of VOD and cinemas over here because they do it a lot in the states. You know, a lot of the lower budget films go VOD and limited cinema at the same time, and I think things like Netflix doing it will will pick it up a lot over here. And well, we get we do get that sometimes in the UK. Uh, Force Majeure and Lost River were all released in cinemas and on curse on home cinema at the yeah, same time. Yeah, forty five years as well. Yeah, so I mean it happens, but it's a lot more common practice in the US, of course. Because... Mainly just seems to be for um, independent movies that would never get put in big cinema chains anyway. Yeah, precisely. So, yeah, uh, it'll, it'll yeah. be a while before Transformers is released on Netflix at the same time as it's in cinema. Well, well yeah, I've, te- I've got ten years of Transformers movies lined up. So... Oh, fuck's sake! <laughs> Jesus. Uh, yeah, no, I also don't see Beasts of, uh, Beasts of No Nation actually getting any awards. Uh, part like. It doesn't matter, but I, I think probably more out of spite, to be honest. Like, yeah, I imagine yeah. the industry but, yeah, but you know what should win awards? The Hail What's Caesar that? trailer. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, thank you, God. Thank you. The new Coen Brothers film. It looks yeah. good. Coming out in February of next year, which is too damn long. Here's the thing. I watch every Coen Brothers movie trailer and go, oh, that looks great. And I, I'm always disappointed when I go to the cinema. So, yeah. Inside Lewin Davis was one of my favourites of last year. Inside Lewin Davis was an absolute masterpiece. Yeah, it's so. brilliant, absolutely brilliant. But then, I, 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 th- I think I'm uh, actually a fan of Coen Brothers, and I hesitate to say that because there are films of theirs I don't get on with that other people love. Raising Arizona is just dog shit as far as I'm concerned, but people seem to find it hilarious. I don't know why. Perhaps just because it's got Nick Cage, and then that automatically means some people love it. But you know, at the same time, yeah, they can do stuff like Inside Lou and Davis. They can do Big Lebowski. They can do No Country for Old Men, Fargo. It's, you know, you could just reel off an entire list of all their brilliant movies. And this one has Josh Brolin in, who I like. That's and always Channing Tatum and Scarlett Johansson, George Clooney back, and yeah, it's, it's a ridiculous Tilda Swinton. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a ridiculous a- cast list. It really is. So we'll keep our fingers crossed for that one. Mm. <laughs> what i've been watching now and you'll know the score for what happened in this section if you've been listening regularly enough for those of you who don't listen regularly enough this is where we review stuff that isn't necessarily new releases uh callum why don't you start us off in this bit uh, yeah, uh, well, I mean, technically it's a new release because it's out this Friday, um, but previews, wonderful things. So, uh, Hotel Transylvania 2, which is the sequel to the first Hotel Transylvania from 2012, and good lord, that movie came out three years ago. <laughs> but that is, t- that says that you, you people don't know how terrifying that is to me. it's, yeah, it's the sequel to the first film, so in it, Mavis, who is Dracula's daughter, um, has married Johnny, the human from the first film, and the hotel's been turned into a monster-human hybrid place, like, you know, essentially farming out Transylvania and monsters into, you know, kind of being like a tourist attraction kind of thing. Mavis and Johnny end up, like, Mavis ends up getting pregnant and having a baby, which... Drac takes a huge shine to because he thinks he's now got a vampire grandson. But the problem is that um, the kid doesn't actually show any semblance of being a monster, like of being a vampire. And the kid has till his fifth birthday to spite his vampire fangs, otherwise he will not become a vampire, like he'll be a human. And Drac really, 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 really wants a vampire, a vampire grandson. Meanwhile, Mavis is terrified that if he is, if 
uh, the son is um, a human, but being around monsters all the time is not exactly safe for him. And so he's looking at moving away elsewhere. So in order to solve both of his problems of wanting a vampire grandson and not having Mavis move away, Drag arranges for Johnny to take Mavis, like to take Mavis to California to meet his parents, played by instantly here by Nick Hoffman and Megan Mullally, because why not? In order to commit, you know, to keep her happy enough to be distracted whilst Drac tries to make the grandson called Dennis, um, like, you know, tries to make him spout his inner monster, uh, but not so happy that she wants to move away. Lots and lots of slapstick comedy hijinks ensue. It's directed by Gendy Tartakovsky, the legendary Gendy Tartakovsky, who also directed the first movie, but is probably best known from everybody else as the creator of Dexter's Laboratory, Samurai Jack, Symbolic Titan, and also being heavily involved in the creation process of Powerpuff Girls. So essentially, your childhood. Um, <laughs> it's like... I, I like the first Hotel Transylvania, because the fact that, that um, it's basically an Adam Sandler movie. Like, you know, like, yeah, without, because Adam Sandler plays Drac, and then all of his buddies play other monsters. You know, like Kevin James is Frankenstein's, is Frankenstein's monster. Steve Buscemi is the Wolfman. Keegan-Michael Keever plays the Celo Green as Mummy this time. Like, it should have been kind of like a terrible movie, because Sandler and stuff. But um, it was pretty funny, especially because of the slapstick comedy, which, uh, because Gendy has managed to do this thing. Like, Gendy and the people at Sony Pictures Animation have managed to take that 2D squash and stretch, like, fast-paced, silly nature of 2D animation and transfer it to the 3D CG world um, near flawlessly. And, like, it looks amazing. Like, the animation looks amazing, but the way mouth movements look like old classic, you know, like, um, mouth flaps from classic um, 60s, 70s cartoons. Um the the sheer speed of most of the animation and things like that it, it essentially it does look like 2d animation moved into 3d realm so where the first film fell down was the fact that the rest of the film outside that animation just wasn't particularly memorable like the actual written jokes weren't that funny but it's a huge improvement this time um and it's millimeters away from being great the animation is a like the animation is still the start of the show because again it's just absolutely gorgeous the way limbs go flying everywhere and how it's zip around and it works on fast camera movements and such. And it looks fantastic. Like if you're an animation nerd, it's seriously, it's just, it's mind blowing. I can't wait till Gendy gets to put it on something that's of his own creation. And the actual quality of the jokes has improved a lot this time as well. Like there's actual genuinely funny written gags as well, which they, they like to mine a lot. Like it's all low hanging fruit granted, but they knock everyone in that park. For example, Dennis like is a sensitive kid out there. And so his favorite monsters, despite being around you know, Transylvania all the time, is um, Cakey the Cake Monster, which is a TV show featuring a hand puppet Sesame Street kind of thing up there, where it's a cake, where it's, where it's you know, ridiculous diabetes-style, like, sugary sweet TV show. A kind of, uh, real monsters share, kids! And don't forget, the scariest monster of all is diabetes! Like, it's, it's just really silly, just lots of fast-paced gags one after the other, and it mostly works. Uh, voice acting is very good, again, all things considered, and it's it's just it's really entertaining, really funny, very charming. Where it falls down is in two aspects, specifically the fact that for one, the final third of the movie, which is instantly is when Mel Brooks as um, Vlad, like as Count Vlad, shows up, which is Dracula's father, is really out of step with the first two thirds of the film. Specifically, um, there's a point where it eventually just evolves into fisticuffs, like old school fisticuffs, and it becomes abundantly clear that this is where Gendy's put every single idea that he had for his Popeye movie that got cancelled into um, here. 
like because the film ends with just like this giant um, old school style throwdown, you know, ridiculous sight gags and physical win- like a physical comedy kind of thing, like you know, like your old uh, old school flash, uh, flasher cartoons. It's really insaneing, like on an animation case, but it's also completely out of step with the film that came before. Mainly because it ends up having to break its central Aesop of it doesn't matter what you are, like it doesn't matter how you turn out, you should love them for who they are. Moral in order to get to it, like specifically, Drax should learn a lesson of a kind, like needs to learn a lesson of it's fine if Dennis isn't a, isn't a vampire. And then, um, well, you could probably tell where this is going. It's again, it's entertaining, but it's out of step for us. And also, it's got a lot of really ugly undertones from Sandler and Co. So the fact, of course, is that Drac invades himself into uh, Dennis's life too often. Like, you're, like, trying to force Johnny out and steer him towards being a vampire kind of thing. But the film doesn't really punish him for that. Like, like even without the whole monster thing, he's still very invasive in their life, life and trying to, you know, control his daughter kind of thing. She needs to learn to not be so overprotective, and she learns a lesson. But Drac, again, is the guy who kind of gets everything he wants, like, in his right all along. And that's, that's really uncomfortable, to be honest here. I kind of like male privilege kind of thing. I don't like it. Oh, yeah. Also, every time the film seems to be ordering up ahead of steam, it will either do a random dance party for no reason. Like, the film will just stop whilst everybody grooves out to a pop song. For... That's just, like, standard kids' animation. No, that's the, no, that's, of that the ending, thing, isn't it? that's the ending of a film. They do that, yeah. and there is still a dance party ending here as well. But again, like literally every time that one will just happen. Um, and it's again, it, it, it's point. I get why I get that you could show off a 3D and the animation, but it's still it feels pandering. Um, and the second as well is that some is that there's a lot of product placement in this movie, weirdly, despite being an animated film aimed at kids. There's a lot of images of the new Sony Bravia TV, or have a look at Dracula making a call to Mavis on his new Sony Xperia phone with the Sony logo really. What? Yeah. (laughs) Kids animation. Yeah. Corporate synergy, ladies and gentlemen, ruining films for everybody. Jesus. Why are they marketing that at kids? What kid is going to go, Dad, can we get a Sony Bravia? I I mean, I don't. I feel like if you're, I feel like every Sony film now, I guess, just has to have lots of shots of Sony products for some reason. I'm, I'm, I bet you, I bet you money we'll see a lot of them randomly in Spectre. Like moments where, where the image just hovers over the back of a Sony laptop for you to... I'm, I'm looking at a Sony Bravia right now. And if anyone from Sony is listening, it's a few years old and I could do with a new one. <laughs> <laughs> just say Sony a few more times. Maybe it'll work. Sony! Um, yeah, other, other than those, um, I really like the movie. Like, it came after I'd had a day of just of films that were, you know, like, okay... Like not particularly, like not particularly great. So by the time I got watched it, and I was and I was sat there and I was laughing a lot. And this has been a dire year for comedies, as I think we all know by this point. So any film that makes me laugh consistently throughout all of its runtime is going to get a pass from me. Again, millimeters away from being great, but brought down by basically by being Sandler. Like when it when it's Gendy, it's it's great. When it's Sandler, it's kind of awkward. Um, and I can say that because Sandler actually co-wrote the script this time as well. Please, Sony, let Gendy go off and make his own thing now. Please, he's giving you two straight hits in a row with a San- with a dying Sandler brand here. You can let you can afford some money to let him go off and make something of his own creation. Please, the guy's too talented for this. He also might still make that Samurai Jack movie one day that I need. <laughs> so, need time to see what Brooklyn is <laughs> saying this week. <laughs> 
<laughs> See, I can be really, really quick because I watched a stupidly old movie. I I discovered a little while ago that the wife had never seen The NeverEnding Story, so I forced her to sit down and watch it over the weekend. So, oh, from, what was the what was her excuse for not seeing it? Uh, she had Just, an awful, awful childhood. Yeah, seems like it. <laughs> you, are, you are a good husband for doing this. Yeah, you get brony points. She had to. She had to watch it. The fact that she fell asleep during it is almost cause for divorce. What? <laughs> but I shan't go into that because she'll listen to this later <laughs> and punch me. Yeah, uh, my <laughs> But yeah, uh, it's. I'm. I'm assuming everybody except my wife knows what this film is. It's just a, a silly fantasy film about a kid who steals a book and goes off and reads the book and this book's all about a warrior's trip to try and save the realm he lives in turns out that the realm he lives in is actually controlled more or less by humans and their imagination and because their imagination is dying so is their world and the book kind of bleeds in with the young kid's life and they become one and the same thing it's you know what? I sat and watched this film, and it must be 10 years. No, it must be more than that, because the wife's never watched it. So it must be 15 years since I've watched this film. Holy fuck, for what I thought was a kid's film, man, is it dark. Like, really dark. There is some horrendous fucking imagery in this thing. And I couldn't believe that my mum let me watch this when I was a kid. <laughs> Although, to be fair, I... I had no idea until I watched it at the weekend that it was based on a book. That's how an actual, it, book. An actual yeah. book, a German fairy tale type book that I'd never heard of because it's German. And to be honest, when I last watched it, I didn't know who Wolfgang Peterson was either. So I, I kind of excused myself a little bit, but I really enjoyed it. I couldn't believe it. Okay. So some of the effects look like boiled anus. <laughs> They're a bit shit now, but obviously, you know, it's a 1984 film. I was two when this film came out. You know, so I, you got to forgive it a little bit, but the actual film itself is still very, very good. I, again, I had no idea that there was a different version of it around, a, a, like a German version that's about ten minutes longer. But I can't see it. You can tell there's definitely dodgy cuts in it, but again, I chalked that up to it being 1984 mm. and it being a German film. But actually, I really enjoyed it, and I, I couldn't believe just how good this film was and how, how much other fantasy films have borrowed from this. And it's absolutely, it's Jumanji before Jumanji was made. Huh. I was really impressed with it. And I actually, I, I, I kind of want to watch it again. Now I'm talking about it. How does, um, the look dragon, uh, Falco, Falco. Falco? Yeah. How does he look now? He's, he looks a bit shit. Does he? But I have, I, obviously it's a stupid, soppy personal story, but I, I kind of, I have a lot of, uh, love for Falco. We had a white boxer when I was growing up, looked exactly like him. And <laughs> if it wasn't for the fact that the film came out after we got the dog, I guarantee you that my mum would have called the dog Falco. <laughs> and I very much now want a black dog of some description that I can call Gamork because I that thing scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. Literally scared the crap out of me. I refused to sleep for days after seeing that. And I just, I think he's such a cool character now. Now that I've I understand what he's doing. I think he's such a cool character. I love him. But yeah, the Luck Dragon still still looks a bit shit. Yeah. Apparently you can ride him. Apparently he, the actual robot Falcor is in Germany and you can ride it. 
I think I know what I'm doing on my holiday next year. Yeah, nice. <laughs> Have you seen the sequels? I haven't. I knew I've they heard were... their utter well, penis. A, a little bit of... your own word. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've done a little bit of reading while I was watching the film, and apparently the author of the book tried to have the film shut down because he hated what they were doing with his with the adaptation of his story. And actually, the film stops about halfway through the actual book. So the sequel is the back end of the book. Right. And Neverending Story 3 apparently is a completely new story completely. But I hadn't, I knew they existed. I've never watched them. Mm. Uh, from what I know, then there's no point. Because no, I've, I've got no time terrible. watching garbage sequels like that. I, there, there are enough coming out today for me to watch without having to go back to mid-80s films to watch them. There we go. Uh, Owen, yourself. Your fine um, self. Yeah, thank you. I wasn't going to talk about this, but I think just because the way that Brooke has been talking about Never Ending Story, I watched Return to Oz for the first time ever. I'd never wow. seen it before. Which is also a kind of weird fantasy film that's known for being very dark and scaring lots of children who watched it um so i'll just quickly throw that in there to say <laughs> it was it was dark it was weird it was creepy it was it was it didn't really make a lot of sense and it's not as good as the wizard of oz but the wheelers were pretty weird they were pretty freaky <laughs> and the, the thing with the pumpkin for a head that was jim henson's son inside uh, whose name has also escaped me but because i wasn't prepared to talk about this but i am actually going to talk about is fright night the remake from 2011, which gets a lot of stick because it was a 3D horror film. And as you might imagine from a modern 3D horror film, there were lots of put on 3D glasses now moments. Things flying towards the screen, axes hurtling towards the screen. You've got a bat at one point that flies towards the screen, straight into the camera. It, yeah, it gets very annoying in that sense. However, I really like it. I've seen it before and I liked it then. I watched it again this past week because I was, I'm trying to do the same thing I did last year, which was watch a horror film every day through October because it's Halloween and blah, blah, you know what I mean? Um, so I tried to, I'm trying to watch a horror film every day. I was looking for one that me and my wife could watch together. And I thought, you know what's quite funny? What I remember being quite funny was Fright Night. And it is. It is a really, well, I think it's a really funny horror film, a proper comedy first horror second with great performances in it. Really good performances. David Tennant, I thought, isn't he gets people's backs up. I'm aware that not everybody likes David Tennant. And yeah, he is putting on an English accent again. But I thought he was good. He was really good as uh, Peter Vincent, the sort of TV celebrity who hosts a show in Las Vegas called um, Fright Night. Uh, and what happens in the course of the Fright Night, what happens in the course of the film is there's a guy who's got a new neighbour who he finds out he's a vampire and he tries to get the help of this TV personality, Peter Vincent, who I'm guessing his name is a, a mix of Peter Cushion and Vincent Price. That's what I assume. Although you, surely you would have gone for Peter Cushion and Christopher Lee. But anyway, not to question question the choices of these these movie makers. But the um, So David Tennant is actually... A fraud. He reads, he's got a lot of artifacts from ancient times of people slaying vampires. He's got books on the subject, but he himself is, is 
he's not a magician. He's he wears a wig, a false moustache. It's all a costume, all a bravado for the for the TV cameras. And he's a bit of a coward. And it's really disappointing to to the main guy. He's played by Anton Yelchin, who himself is very good. I really like Anton Yelchin in this film. He plays Charlie, the the main guy. Um, and Imogen Poots is in it as Amy, which is his girlfriend who try, yeah tries to help him slay the next door neighbour who is a vampire who is played by Colin Farrell, who himself is brilliant. They're all really good. They're all really solid performances in this. But where everyone else is very comedic, Colin Farrell is just, he brings the horror to this. He really does. Because you could verge on being, um, going too far and just turning it into a pantomime or having it feel like it's not really not really part of it, if you know what I mean. Like he's in a different film. But he, it, it, listen, it blends it very nicely um, because he... Yeah, he brings the menace to this film. And it works. It just fits. He's, he's very good. The cast, very good. Christopher Mintz-Plass is in it um, as Ed, who's the the nerdy kid. He he used to be Charlie's friend, and then they Charlie decided he was too old for playing dress-up and Dungeons and & Dragons and filming them slaying monsters in their backyard and stuff. But he, yeah, he's very good. He then becomes a vampire. I don't think that's a spoiler. Friday Night's plot is quite well known. But it's kind of, it's brilliant. It's still really funny. It's still really good. If you're trying to find something that will just, um, that you can watch over Halloween, that's that you can just flick on for an hour and a half and just have a laugh with, then you can do worse than Friday Night. You can do worse than this. It's, it's one of those that you don't often get remakes of classic horrors or cult horrors that turn out to be really good. And keep the same tone, because the original Fright Night is also like a comedy horror um, from the 80s. And it's it's brilliant. That is also fantastic. But yeah, it's a, it's a good, it's a good, solid remake. It's entertaining. Uh, and yeah, it's mainly mainly because of the humour and the jokes and the gags. And they're all great. It just works. It's really good. OK, well, on to what I've seen then. I've seen Sicario and, and The Martian since they were reviewed as kind of main reviews on this podcast a couple of weeks ago. Enjoyed both of them, read The Martian as, a, as the book, obviously, when last year and thought it was a very good adaptation. But it's, it's one of those solid kind of... Both, I felt, were thought were those kind of solid seven and a half out of ten films. They're not, they're not great, but they're not mm. kind of... They're not terrible. They're very watchable, but they're them kind of instantly forgettable as well not not instantly forgettable but they're not you know they're not yeah i know what you're trying to yeah, say yeah you're not going to be talking about them for weeks and weeks afterwards you um, have no idea how hard it is for me right now to not launch into a giant praise fest of sicario you really don't sicario it's good but it's it's a bit sort of empty no it's not it kind of it is i mean i yeah, it's kind of like a copy of something like Elite Squad 2 or Gamora, which do the whole thing really well. They they show that side of criminal life in a, in a way that is real and believable, whereas Sicario is still very much a movie. It's a it's I, I, fantasy. I, 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 I'm going to say this right now, okay? I disagree with you, but let's move on. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, well, it's a good film, but I know what Steve's saying. It's it's not going to be in my end of year list either, Steve. No. Um, that's coming up soon, isn't it? Gosh, I mean, it's, it is. We're nearly already. there. Yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I've also been. There's been a few few shows coming back to television in the last week. I won't go too spoiler heavy because 
that would be unfair. But The Walking Dead has returned for Series 6. A bit of a slow start, in my opinion, even though it wasn't oh, extended. Hell surprise! <laughs> even, even though it was an extended episode. I think I would benefit far more with The Walking Dead of, of binge-watching it, and, you know, sailing on to the end of the season and watching it over two or three watches rather than episodically week by week. But I know I won't. I know I'll watch it every week when it comes out, get a bit annoyed with it. Um, but carry on, mainly because I like the source material so much. And I'm I, hoping that I've, some I've... of the stuff will will bleed in from that. But it, it never does. And it, it, it's it's watchable TV, but it's... It's, uh... it's junk food TV. Yeah. It's not as special as everybody makes out. And the season six premiere, I kind of half watched it just before we, we started recording. It mm. was all right. But all right, it's pretty much my reaction to every Walking Dead episode at the moment. It, I, they, they usually throw in something good at the mid-season finale or end-of-season finale to yeah. make you think, I'm coming back to this. And then all the other episodes in between are just filler. Yep, it's just and it, noise. And... Yeah, it's just really irritating. Yeah. Well, I, <laughs> for the, for I, the I... amount of zombies in that last episode, there weren't a lot going on. <laughs> well, I, I got out around season three. Also, I have a friend. I, I have a friend at university who genuinely like watches Walking Dead, but as told me repeatedly, she has no idea why she keeps watching it. <laughs> yeah, like she'll watch, um, like she'll, like she'll watch an episode and then just go like and sort of half enjoy it, but ask herself, why am I still doing this? The the thing with Walking Dead for me is it kind of it sit there. It's it's in an ever growing list now of shows I've more or less walked away from and I don't like. I don't particularly watch them anymore, but. I live in a house with another person who does watch them, so they're on. <laughs> it's very you much lo- it's very much loss syndrome for me. I should have given up on it by now, but I'm too invested in it. Now you know what <laughs> the, the day you give up, something big's gonna happen. And yeah. It never yeah. But a show, does. the show I did give up on, which was Dexter. Now I loved that for about four seasons, and then I just thought no, it just went dropped. You off got a cliff. it at the right time. Yeah, it dropped after off a cliff. Four Dexter is utter shit. I which is um, the season that. with Jimmy Smits? But anyway, uh, so so the the Walking Dead are now trying to build their own universe. So they got Fear the Walking Dead. I didn't fear anything in that except literally turning it on everyone. I didn't even watch the last episode. <laughs> I gave I gave up on that. It was I, I won't was, hear a bad word said about Fear the Walking Dead. Kim Dickens is fucking awesome. I love that woman. Kim Dickens might be good. Everything else is bloody terrible in that. I mean, Fear the Walking. There's hardly any Walking Dead in it. <laughs> But it's the it's the it's the first stages of the outbreak yeah, and they're isolated was... in a California. At the moment, did you stick did you stick through to the season finale? No, I haven't bothered. I did. Well, it's I only six your... episodes long. <laughs> the entire season six episodes long. Stick through to the finale, dude, because the finale ramps up everything. And then and then they've got this the, the this mini thing that's going to be set on a plane. And but they've already said somebody who's on this plane is going to be in season two of Fear the Walking Dead. So you know the plane lands. There's not much jeopardy in it. <laughs> you know, I like the idea of it. There's a zombie on a plane. It's going to cause problems. There's no doubt about it. But you know the plane lands. So you know that, you know... This... <sighs> it's uh, going to be super meta and be a prequel to the outbreak. So yeah. they'll just be talking about possibly a virus well, you on even, the whole you page. Even, you even see, I think, in Fear the Walking Dead, this plane flying overhead. I mean, you don't. You do. Yeah, so I mean, well, you don't know for definite it's that plane, but it very, really probably is. But I tell you what's, what's good if you want some zombie TV show. It's just gone into its second season. It's Sci Fi and Asylum's Z Nation. <laughs> oh, that's just stupid. It's brilliant. Not, not many people can sort of po facedly recommend an asylum film. Because it's so bad. It's so bad, it's 
fucking brilliant. It's just amazingly awful, which makes it so good. And there's actually zombies in it. You get zombie babies and zombie animals. Oh, and fuck. It's just, yeah. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Also, I uh, Resident Evil Outbreak Volume 2. You have to go through a zoo full of zombie elephants and stuff. <laughs> uh, also started back in the last week or so was American Horror Story for its fifth season. I enjoy American Horror Story, although more some seasons more than others. It's never that much horror. It's more just kind of mad, a bit off the wall, and, and try and creep you out or um, you know make you feel a bit uneasy or, or grossed out more than it is out and out horror. Lady Gaga's in this one, though, and she cannot act. That I mean, does sound like out and out horror. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I won't, I won't, I won't comment on her pop music. I don't really know if she's good or not. She's popular, but I don't know. If she's, but she can't act. Hang on, Steve. Excuse me a second. You are blowing my mind with this massive revelation. I could never. <laughs> Just what people should be aware. Yeah. Oh, oh, people were aware. They watched that tele. They watched the telephone video, and she was garbage there too. She, um, the only thing I've seen her acting, if you call it acting, was that episode of The Simpsons she was in. And I was furious all the way through that because it's a, a new episode of The Simpsons and that's what it does to me. I just, anger, anger is all. Why are you people watching terrible television? Yeah. Well, American Horror Story, just to get back on topic, I dropped out after the first season and I wish I'd have quit earlier than that because it was a waste of time. I quite like the first season and the other ones I've seen as well have been enjoyable. I have had a lot of people recommend it to me. I've just never started it. Now yeah. I feel like five years in, I've just there's too much to catch well, up it's, on. It's, it's, okay, it's, you're like a horror film fan though, right? But, You've sorry? seen a lot of horror. You, you, yeah. You're a horror film fan. I would not recommend it to people who like horror films. <laughs> but, but, Good horror but, films. But, but, there's, no, there's no continuing element season to season. It's a no, different... You can pick different... any season, can't you? Yeah. yeah. It's the whole different scenario thing every year, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. This, there's uh, a second uh, one, The Asylum or something like that? Yeah, there's Asylum and Coven and Haunted <laughs> House. This one's set in a, a hotel. This one's hotel. Yeah. Uh, there's one Circus Freak series. And, uh, but, yes. Um, yes, yeah, TV. Could, you... TV. <laughs> yes, yeah, you could watch any of those, but then you have to watch a Ryan Murphy show. Why would you want to do that to yourself? Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what I have just started to, to watch again is uh, the sen- uh, Sense8 on Netflix. Oh, spoilers, don't say anything. I w- all I will say is I stopped after two episodes ages ago. I stopped Whenever it came out, I watched the first two and I was like, this is just balls. Why am I wasting my time on this? And then quite recently picked it up again. I think I'm up to episode five now and it's it improved. I'll put it that way. But it takes until episode four for any explanation about anything. And it's doing my head in because it's so slow and it's so shit at the same time. But also quite... I'm, I'm, I, I think I'm getting into it. Mainly because of Duna Bay. I like Duna Bay. She's a really good actress. But, yeah. This part of the podcast, we have a look at some new releases, and this week it is Pan, Suffragette, and The Walk. We're going to start off with Pan, and uh, obviously another telling of the Peter Pan story. Uh, who has seen this one? <sighs> Callum, then. <laughs> right. Pan. That's a good sense to avoid it. No, I see everything, which is the problem. Right. Uh... Well, very quickly, before Callum. Pan's pan. 
That's a good one. Yeah. Here's a reason why we should all support Pan and uh, any uh, adaptations of, of Peter Pan that will be made for, for the screen or stage. Um, <laughs> basically, C.M. Barry, when he died, he left the rights to Peter Pan to Great Ormond Street Hospital. So anytime anyone from Hollywood down to television down to uh, West End or whatever want to make a version of it, they have to pay a very worthy charity money to do it. Oh, fuck those kids. Okay. No <laughs> You're not guilting me into watching this bollocks, man. It's yeah. not happening. Yeah. The, know, more, pe- the more people watch Pan, the more little kiddies are happy. No, you know what? You know what? I think if Pan bombs, which it has, um, I don't think I don't think it's going to stop people making Peter Pan projects. Let's put it that way. I, I, I think Great Ormond Street is going to be fine, to be honest. Well, but, um, anyways, right. Pan, which is the new film from director Joe Wright, who has made some great films like Hannah, some overrated films like um, Atonement, and some bad films like Anna Karenina. That's easy for you to say. <laughs> Uh, written by Jason Fuchs, who's um, also writing the Wonder Woman movie. Oh, God, he's writing the Wonder Woman movie. I've already warned everyone, they don't write very good stories for Wonder Woman. Uh, for a script that was supposedly on the 2013 blacklist, which is just further proof that the blacklist means shit, quite frankly. For a blacklist is, the list, is like a list every year of the 10 best unproduced scripts floating around Hollywood. Um, stars Levy Miller as Peter who in this telling, because this is a prequel to Peter Pan, you see here, an origin story, because God knows Peter Pan needed one of those. Right, Peter is an orphan born of the tryst between a fairy king and a human and a human w- woman, um, left at a nunnery orphanage in 1930s. We're not in Victorian England anymore, in the 1930s. The doorstep with a letter pro- like about his mother and stuff like that. Um, fast forward to World War II, and he's making a living in what is based, what it, like in this evil nunnery orphanage there, that ration, that where nuns are cruel and evil and they ration food and they ration all, and they keep all the good rations to themselves and stuff like that. Um, and he has a foppish young, like young best friend called Nibs who exists because fucking I don't know. Then the nuns, and Peter is this young rogue, you know, like puckish guy of adventure and mischief and all that. And so the nuns sell him into pirate slavery. Which incidentally, like, that's how evil these nuns are, that is, they sell kids to pirate slavery. Uh, a child labour. And there he's whisked away to Neverland, which is run under the control of Captain Blackbeard, played by Hugh Jackman, who is using these kids to mine for pixie dust, known here as Pixum, because... Uh, however, <laughs> Peter... Peter, you see... However, Peter's rival causes... Fear in Blackbeard, because you see, Peter is the chosen one from a prophecy that dictates that a boy born of a human of a human girl and a fairy prince will be whisked away from Neverland, will one day return to overthrow and kill Blackbeard. And bring um, balance and, to the force. Yeah, and and save the fairy kingdom. And he, they will know this because he will fly and he wears the pan symbol. So he has to go join up with the natives, head up with Tiger Lily, played by Rooney Mara. And also along for the ride is a captain, is a James Hook, played by Garrett Hedlund as well. Um, and also a Smee, whose name's not actually Smee, but he gets given it by Hook. So, ha ha. This is an absolute can't look away train wreck. There is literally not one second of one second of this movie that is not horrifically misguided or ill-judged. 
for one thing, it, it cribs from quite literally everything except its own mythos, like except the Peter Pan um, story here. You've got, you know, you've got um, Star Wars, obviously, right? you know, chosen one narratives, and also Garrett Hedlund's, Garrett Hedlund's hook is basically Han Solo. Like, it's basically him doing a terrible, terrible, obnoxiously insufferable Harrison Ford imitation. I'll put it this way. He's so bad here. I should not be rooting for the people punching him out or cheering when he fought, when he starts, when he looks like he's going to fall to his death. Okay. But I do. But I did multiple times. He's terrible. And Tiger Lily here basically exists to be Leia. You know, so they can have a Han Leia bickering relationship thing. Failing to realize the reason why Han Leia works in Star Wars is because even whilst they're bickering, you can still tell they actually genuinely do like each other. Like, like there's, like, there's actual chemistry there, kind of thing. It's not just people sniping at each other all the time and then in case of sharp, ooh, look, they're smiling. Maybe they do like each other. The Hanlayer romance here is written by, like, an by like an angsty 13-year-old who's just come out of a bad breakup and thinks this is how old romance is supposed to be. So, yeah, that's terrible. Um, you've got Avatar with its fantasy world of ridiculous creatures, including a whole lot of winged birds that you can fly that look incredibly just just awful but terrible and also you know nate turning pixie dust into a thing that people are mining you know as a rare element that they're drying up the precious resources of neverland looking for you've got elements of oliver with the you know orphanage and, and levy miller doing his peter pan as a kind of cool blimey governor i love me i want to find me mums i do please please sir i can't be the chosen one like foppish orphan kid shit you've got harry potter in there Obviously, because why not? Why why wouldn't Warner Brothers try and just recapture Harry Potter magic? You've got some Hunger Games in there. With your things about child endangerment and slave labor and dictatorships. There's bits of a Knight's Tale as well, the way that it does cultural anachronisms. But we'll come back to that in a minute. And just like it's just it's and it's all these different things just blended together with no rhyme or reason to create just this utterly generic and an awful plot. That's your standard chosen one narrative. It requires too many coincidences to be correct you know, like where, you know those chosen one houses where everything just links back to our hero in some way because destiny and i really i really really thought we were going to stop doing this after the lego movie proved how bullshit the chosen one narrative is but i guess not i guess i'm wrong again so there's that the performances are terrible across the board everybody is acting like they're in a completely different movie to each other um hugh jackman goes for for just the campest like theatricality and his is the only is the only performance that comes close to working like, because he looks like he's having fun, like genuine fun, because this movie is joyless. This movie is absolutely joyless. And he's the only one who actually looks like he's having any fun. Then you have Garrett Hedlund's atrocious Harrison Ford impersonation. Rooney Mara gets to play the girl, like <laughs> the girl um, and the aloof girl. That, And then, and then of course, again, you have Levy, Levy Miller's core blimey, British overarching toy guy, governor um, thing, which is rating as all hell. He's terrible. But again, Garrett Hedlund is just horrendous here. He is absolutely... If you've ever seen him in anything good, I want you to take back any praise you gave for him there now, immediately. He's he's, he's that awful here. He's just terrible. I, I, I want to say... He was in Inside Lewin Davis. Yeah, I know. And I'm I'm, 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 I'm thinking of taking back my... Reassessing your opinion, yeah. yeah. He, he's awful. He's awful here. It's one of the worst performances I think I've seen all year. It's dreadful. Um, Joe Wright has absolutely no effort, puts no effort into this at all. Um, his heart is not in it. He's basically just shooting what's on the page. And what's on the page is terrible. And that's this huge tonal problem where it just, like, where it's trying to be all this, this swashbuckling, whimsical tale, but 
It's but its heart's not in it, and then it'll just suddenly switch to being this dark and bleak, like this dark, bleak adult as hell movie that's not for kids at all. I seriously have no idea how this is a PG movie. I really don't, because because you know you know the kids love the kids love indiscriminate murder, lots of indiscriminate child murder, things like Blackbeard kicking kids off of pirate ships to, into bottomless pits to their doom. You know, but they 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 like a nice bit of genocide. They like some kids love some genocide. Let's have a sequence where Blackbeard is burning is using flamethrowers on the side of his flying pirate ship to burn a whole colony of fairies alive in gruesome detail. The, the, the way this film handles gun violence, what a lot of people got, die from getting shot in this movie as well, incidentally, is actually really dangerous as well, I feel. Because when people get shot, like when the natives get shot, and we're going to touch on the natives again in a second, believe me. When the natives get shot and die, they explode into puffs of colourful smoke. Like, so essentially, it's all, the, it's all the violence of shooting people without any of the bloody consequence. You know, you know, like there's no bodies to clean up out there. It's all just harmless fun out there, which at best is just kind of like people just not thinking. And at worst, it's horrifically out of step with our times, especially because it's like, well, again, on Friday, just this past Friday, there were three mass shootings in America as well. Like gun, to just have gun violence portrays this completely consequence-free action in a, in what's meant to be a family movie nowadays. It's, it's fucking reckless. It's the equivalent to like a video game, essentially, about that, and it's awful. Like, so the movie has no tone. It's too, it's way too fucking dark for kids. Like, this should not be a PG at all. This need, this should be a 12A. It's horrendous. You know, those scenes of child labor and then horrific violence and genocide and all that. And then on, on to the thing of the natives, incidentally, um, we all know the film caught a lot of flack prior to the how prior to being shot when Joe Wright cast Rooney Marvo's Tiger Lily a white actress playing a role that has typically, for many people, been seen as Native American. With Wright defending himself by stating that um, Jay and Barry did not specify that she was Native American or that the natives were Native American in his text, and he's trying to be true to the spirit of Jay and Barry. And he he was going to make up for this by making all the natives, and they're not called Lost Boys, they're called natives, (coughs) all the natives, um, you know, like this multiculturally diverse group. He doesn't get to defend himself of that anymore for two reasons. Whilst it is admirable that um, he's that it is like uh, an actual multi-ethnic group, you know, lots, yeah, you know, where people of all race, you know, of all races and colors and creeds and all that. Uh, those points immediately get taken away when the only character who actually gets a character, like the only one of them who gets a character and who doesn't exist to just die immediately, is the white woman. And for two, the design of the entire natives themselves cribs heavily from Native American imagery. Like, they don't use Native American imagery exactly, but it's heavily influenced from it. So we've got some nice cultural appropriation going on there as well. Oh, yeah. And also something I realized when I went to the car, like when I went to the car to have dinner after I'd finished the film and checked on Twitter and, you know, saw people going crazy about whitewashing, obviously. I then realized this is a white savior narrative film where the chosen, where the chosen white guy will come down and lead the the try like the natives of all different colors out there to freedom and success i don't think they intended it to be in that there but it is happens anyway because nobody fucking fought during this yeah. movie and the bad guy is called blackbeard hey what's yeah. that all about it's, it's all... <laughs> no because nobody fucking fought nobody fought about anything with this movie I mean, you also have the designs as well, where for some reason, despite it being in World War II, World War II is definitely just treated as this whimsical, magical time. There was a bombing raid in this movie, like a bombing raid's actually shown in this movie, but it's just treated as whimsical backdrop. Whilst Peter and his and his nevish friend go off and go off and break into the nun head nun's office to try and find all the rations they're storing away. No, isn't it just whimsical World War II? Is this carefree time for popish young kids to do whatever the fuck they want? Um, so you've got World War II there. Neverland itself 
has images of like of the American West, elements of steampunk. And then at one point, despite this movie not being a musical and the song itself not being released for 50 years, for another 50 years, Blackbeard and his pilots and slave children all sing Nirvana Smell Like Teen Spirit. I don't that know is why. the most offensive thing you've told me all day. I, I don't know why. The song doesn't get released for another 50 years and the lyrics to Smells Like Teen Spirit have basically no correlation on the film, on the story that Pan's trying to tell. So I don't know why it happens. And I also don't know why 10 minutes later they sing Blitzkrieg Bop whilst kicking or kicking <laughs> children off of a ship. I don't know. I don't know why. Again, it's not even a musical. Like after these two instances, the film never does it again. So I don't know why, but nobody fucking fought during this movie. And then the film looks terrible. The dialogue is atrocious. Like, what lines aren't terrible, terrible attempts at clipping or aren't, you know, that kind of you are the chosen one of, of oh, I can't believe I can found, I found you, mom. I've waited so long for this and I don't know how to think kind of dialogue is just awful attempts at, tri- at like pathetic fan service attempts at try- winks and nods at trying to tie into Peter Pan mythos, you know, the kind of, where's the boy? We, we lost him for native, sir. So you're saying he's a lost boy. <laughs> just this. <laughs> Do you know what it sounds like it's missing? What what is it missing? Laser gun. Rufio. Oh <laughs> uh, no, no, God, if Dante Vasco did show up and just started pretending to be Prince Zuko for the entire film, I would be more than happy about that. But no, no I I don't get this movie. Like I don't know who this is meant to be for. I don't know why it exists. This is one of the worst films I've seen this year. It's it's I mean, I've seen films that were more boring, and this is just like a train wreck where I just sat there the entire time, open mouth and just horror it just how awful this is but it's just it's it's awful it really is it's a complete train wreck that fails on every single level and i i just don't i don't know who it's for i don't know what it's trying to do i don't know why it exists excellent don't watch pan <laughs> don't support the kiddies at great ormond street hospital and don't actually no if you don't go and watch this i'll make another one i have to pay for the rights for it again so don't watch this help some kids out brooker You've seen Suffragette. You've wrote a very good review of it for the website, but for those who don't want to read your work and would rather listen to you, why don't you tell everyone about it? <laughs> so Suffragette is the the story of the early 1900s suffragettes. The whole story revolves around mainly one woman who kind of unwittingly finds herself being a suffragette when she has to help out a mate of hers who is a suffragette and just, who's getting just, ready to, to speak at, at Parliament. Just quickly, is this kind of a, a biopic or is this uh, uh, mm, set, it, no, set, set amongst the suffragette movement but with fictional characters? It's set amongst the movement. It mentions probably the, the world's most famous one in uh, Emmeline Pankhurst. It mentions her. She has a cameo role in this, which... We I, can talk about it because re- I've got a, a theory as to why it's a, a cameo role. Go on, him. Well, basically, part of it is because who they've cast as Emily Pankhurst was was Meryl Streep. In Maggie Thatcher. <laughs> yeah, doing her Maggie Thatcher impression again. But I think part of it is that you get the you, the excitement of you know who's been cast. So what the characters are feeling when they're waiting for Emily Pankhurst to arrive and to speak, you get the oh, this is the bit with Meryl Streep. This is going to be. This is going to be her big speech. This is going to be her moment. And you, that's part of what happens yeah. is you get the same reaction. And also because the story is about the, the movement rather than... Rather than the person. Rather, Well, it's about the people rather than the individual in a way. 
Even though it focuses on Carrie Mulligan, who plays a fictional character, she plays someone called Maud Watts. Who, well, I believe she's fictional. I don't think yeah, she's fictional. I, I, I think she is. Uh, and this, I think, is kind of what I mean when I say it's not about... The, it makes it nowhere near about uh, Emmeline Pankhurst at all. It makes it about exactly. the movement by literally giving you this person that you can you, you can be her by proxy. Yeah. Because she's nobody, you know. You're, yes, exactly. You're experiencing this whole movement from someone who's got very little knowledge about it to, at the end, someone who's probably really invested in the story, yeah. I would assume. Because I was. That's what happened to me. I mean, I was, obviously, I know who the suffragettes were. I knew Emily Pankhurst. Um, you know, you, you probably know most of the, the some of the names. Emily Davison, for example. Yeah. Is a name most people will be aware of, or at least what she did. And I won't, I won't say it exactly, because it is treated as a huge turning point in the film, but... If I say Emily Davidson and you and the suffragettes, and you you will probably have an idea in your own this mind. This is kind of the thing I was because I because uh, I went to see it with the wife, and we she knew the story, hmm. but she didn't know her name. Do you know okay. what I mean? No, so, yeah, same. Yeah, so okay. so the the actual event is very 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 famous, and is the turning point in the film, and was a turning point in the movement, and pretty much everybody should know the event. If you don't, mm. even if you don't know who the person is, I think if you did history at school in Britain, you will know the event and the yeah, situation. absolutely, absolutely. Um, I remember even before history became a, an option at GCSE, it was it was taught. Um, yeah, see, I I didn't get to learn about that until I took my GCSEs. I don't think we did it. I don't think we did the suffragettes or uh, women's we we, def- we definitely right did the su- we definitely did the suffragettes. I can't remember in how much detail or yeah. or, or, or so what you know, um, but we we certainly did it and certainly learned about. Um, I'm pretty sure my entire the, and... the, the exam was based around the suffragettes. Yeah. And the minute work. But the, the the point I guess that that's being made here is that the the, the suffragettes are something that's ingrained in British. History and culture. Well, to yeah, the I mean, extent that there was a there's a joke in Blackadder about them from Lord Flashheart, which was very yeah. offensive, and <laughs> I don't agree with at all, but I laugh a lot. <laughs> yeah, isn't that okay. the point of Blackadder jokes, though? Yeah, <laughs> but then, um, but this is kind of the point I think of her being not a famous person. Everybody knows the movement, and everybody knows yep. what happened and and what they've done, and you know the the, the crazy shit that these women got up to, but. Being able to sit and watch it through the eyes of somebody who there's no way you've ever heard of them because they didn't exist. Yeah, you get introduced to them in a, a sort of an, a, an organic kind of way, a yeah. natural kind of way, as someone who is actually there and experiencing it. But also at the same time, what it does really well, because Kerry Mulligan plays Maud, yeah. um, who's just uh, an absolutely phenomenal actress. Yes, she is. She's just superb in almost everything I've seen. She is fantastic again in this. She's really good. But she also carries it in, in that sort of personable kind of way. And you re- you can relate to her because she's experiencing everything for the... Yeah. Maybe not the first time. She she probably had some idea in the characters sort of written that way. But also because she brings that element of you get to see what it was like for for a normal non-activist woman at that time she's she works in um someone who was trying to keep their head down a bit keep their head down she's 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 a wife she's a mother and that's basically all that her life kind of amounted to at the time in in, in like quite a tragic sort of way so 
you her trying to understand where her place in the world is becomes this real triumph for her and then obviously that it, it, it sort of comes out of the screen and, and affects you because then you feel really pleased when things are happening and when she's taking a stance when she finally steps up and does her part and you're just like fucking yes yeah. brilliant yes you are yeah you probably stand you want to stand and cheer with her every time she does something right and every time something goes wrong you kind of want to climb into the screen and hug her yeah yeah exactly and and you just want to i mean it, it's kind of weird in the, in that sort of sense because i suppose you're also then i don't really know how to explain but you've got like brendan gleason here as the the inspector who's trying to crack down on the movement because they're breaking the law the suffragettes are kind of known for, for, for that sort of thing smashing windows blowing up mailboxes and all kinds of like vandalism and stuff to try and raise awareness of their their cause so from from one sort of standpoint he makes a point earlier on they they try to to blow up something and he says well this innocent bystander could have been injured it was like minutes away from affecting somebody else and how would you feel about that and then that kind of it's quite a clever little twist because it puts it back onto you as the viewer as well how do you feel about it do you? I mean, obviously, what they're fighting for is a just cause, and their their argument was that when they were silent protesters, well, not so, you know what I mean. They were, they weren't resorting to this kind of um, uh, terrorism in a way. Yeah. Then they weren't being treated seriously, and it was only when they pushed harder, when they pushed back, that they did get into the press, and that people had to take notice of them. So it's quite a clever little thing in the in the in the actual story that makes you, as you're watching it, you start to to really think about the movement and what happened and what these these women went through, and I think it's a very well written story. I think it's very it's a very sharp script, and it's it's heightened by the performances of those people because Brendan Gleeson is just always always watchable. Yeah, he's another everything. one that's amazing in almost everything you see him in, and here I I loved him in Suffragette when he kind of he had those moments where you almost felt sorry for him for having mm. to do his job yeah and i thought he played those brilliantly yeah but also the film i mean it tries to incorporate everything so you get to see kerry mulligan as she she wants to be a mother which is you know a very it, it, it's a it's a, a a role obviously reserved for females and so just because she wants the right to vote, just because she wants to be equal, it doesn't mean she can't be a mom. And similarly, Helena Bonham Carter's character, just because she's married to a, a man and she's got a, a loving relationship with the man, doesn't mean that she can't want equal rights for women. And it tries to sort of bring out all these different aspects in its characters. And Violet as well, who's another character, um, Anne-Marie Duff, who plays quite a, a significant role. Although the, the point that she... Not steps out of the story. The point that she is no longer necessary to advancing the plot. Yeah. Can that? Uh, yeah. You know. You yeah. know what I'm trying to get to. To the point where she's not the the central character anymore, and the whole movement. She's introduced introduced well, more to she, it. She's pushed Maud into it, and she's pushed Maud to get where she is, and she's not required yeah. anymore because Maud is where because the, the she plot needs takes another be. step up yeah. Maud's where we need her to be so we don't need her in there anymore yeah but everything that Violet does is brilliant because she's the um, opinionated one she's the ballsy one she's she's got some great lines in the script as well 
Uh, there's like someone, she's sitting on a bench and someone walks past, some bloke walks past and says uh, something along the lines of... Uh, don't you wish you were a man? Don't you wish you were a man? And she just goes, I bet you do and all. Yeah. And it's just, it's great. It's lots of humour there and it just takes the edge off some of the more difficult to watch watch scenes. But all of the actresses pull it off. All the actors pull it off. And it, yeah, it, I really enjoyed Suffragette. And I, the more I think about it, the, the higher I rate it. Yeah, I, I think it has to be has to be said as well that it does it does a very good job in so many films, so many directors. It would be so easy to make it a really horrific film, mm. like make it really uncomfortable to watch in certain things that we know happened to these women. You know, in nineteen twelve, yeah. whether, whether it was bef- you know when when they were in prison when. When they were Force be- feeding yeah, that went on, when and... they were beaten by their husbands, and and you know all this kind of shit, it would have been really easy to make a really horrifically uncomfortable film to watch, and the the director sidestepped that very very well. Obviously, showed all the bits they needed to show, but mm. didn't make it the horrific eighteen rated film that it really could have been. It would yeah. have been so easy to make it a terrible terrible film. But it's a it's a really good drama. I hope it gets because it's only come out on Monday yeah. this week. So people will hopefully start to sort of see it in their cinemas this week. And I I really strongly urge people to go and see yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. It's and, a very you know, good, important film. Plenty of word of mouth because by the time it gets to the states, it doesn't hit the states for a couple of weeks. Mm. Hopefully, the buzz will be big enough from what our people over here have seen. So people over in the states go and watch it and take notice as well because it very definitely needs to be a. Uh, it needs to be noticed everywhere. Okay. Uh, finally, then, it's time to review The Walk, starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt as uh, a stuntman based on true events who done a tightrope... That's him. Done a tightrope <laughs> walk between the two towers of the World Trade Center. Those who've seen that discuss. Is it as good as the documentary that was made on the same subject? Man on Wire. Yes, I've not seen Man on Wire, but Brooker, I know you talked about it recently. I did. So I, I literally, I watched it specifically because this film was coming out, and it's different. 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 I can't say it's better, but I wouldn't say it's worse either. It's, it's just, it's a different way of telling the same story, isn't it? It's gone from documentary to. to... Well, one's very factual, and the way that this is, the way that the walk is narrated. I love um, the narration in that film. I love it. Because it's not static voiceover stuff, is it? Which is what normally annoys me, where it's just someone narrating what you're already seeing. It's, it, context, it's, it basically contextualises everything, which is yeah. much preferable, much more preferable when you've got a narrator. Because they can... You don't... I don't know. I, I mean, let's think about one of the, one, the films that really annoys me with narration um, is uh, Million Dollar Baby. The Clint Eastwood film, God. because it's just fucking Morgan Freeman saying what you're already seeing, and people go, "Oh, he's yeah. brilliant because he's Morgan Freeman. He's got a great voice." Yeah, okay, fine, he's got a great voice, but the, if you listen to what he's saying, it's fucking bollocks, and it really annoys me. It, it but, really is like listening to the audio description at the cinema. There's yeah. no need for it at all. It, it, it there really isn't in most cases. Terence Malick does the same, and I know it's sort of like criminal almost to. to Slate Terence Malick, but the, I can't stand the narration in his film either. Days of Heaven is just, oh, God's sake. But then this is, it does it in a different sort of way. Like I said, it contextualizes what you're seeing on screen rather than here I was walking across a wire in my back garden. 
yeah. and it's kind of you know it, it they do a really good job with that which is a tricky thing to get right i think i think it's true. important to realize as well that that's actually how okay it's a bit embellished and a bit exaggerated for the film but how joseph gordon levitt is is how the dude actually is how, that's how he talks he's very animated he's he's like a thunderbirds puppet being controlled by someone on coke <laughs> <laughs> He's absolutely, he's all over the shop. Like the documentary, he's everywhere. He's just such a, he's a bizarre little character. And I know he looked, and he does sound like he's got a ridiculous, ridiculous French accent. Okay, a few accents. Yeah. But, but the problem is, so has, I've forgotten his name. It's horrible. Billy, Billy Petit. Petit. Billy. He's also got a ridiculously comedic French accent. Because he's trying so hard to speak English all yeah. the time, I guess. Like the longer, like more time spent with him, like, like, in the trailers, it really annoyed me, but more time I spent, like, in the film with him, the less the accent actually, like, got on my nerves. It kind of felt more natural-ish the further on it went. Like, it like it drove me more less. Mm. So, I just, I just wanted to mention that, because I spent much of the lead-up to the film making fun of the accent. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It didn't really bother me in the trailers. I just thought, yeah, it's just an American putting on a well, European when you accent. The, when you see the trailers, oh, that's, that's very fucking Inspector Clouseau, isn't it? This is, <laughs> this is going to go horribly, horribly wrong. But again... I'm going to walk put away between the two towers of the World Trade Center. <laughs> How you say she's eating surrender monkeys? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then again then, then you watch the, the fucking documentary and you go well hold on this is that's what the dude sounds like anyway and you, you obviously it is, it, and it is a bit embellished for the film but it just he does sound like a a French comic there's no two ways about it and I think I actually think the, the voice it didn't grate on my nerves at all I, I don't think uh, I, a single point thought okay I, I really need him to stop talking because he's pissing me off I, I quite enjoyed it. So I guess the other thing that The Walk is probably selling itself on is, you know, aside from having Robert Zemeckis as the, the director, multi-award winning Robert Zemeckis, and also having Joseph Gordon-Levitt and being based on an, an Academy Award winning documentary, is the visual side of it. Oh, holy fuck. Because they're pushing the 3D. Well, it seems to me they're pushing the 3D. Yeah, And you can understand days, why. So. Yeah, you saw it in 2D. Yeah, I, I, yeah, just just completely going against the grain again. Against <laughs> film I saw pixels in 3D, but I didn't see the walk in 3D. For shame. Yeah, exactly. Well, You're doing in, that all wrong, defense, mate. Yeah, in, in my defence, I had no choice when it came to pixels. So. Yeah, I mean, basically, I don't, I don't choose a film whether in to see it normally, whether it's in 3D or 2D. That's not that doesn't usually factor into whether I'm going to see a film or not. It usually depends on the time that it's on. But with the walk, I, I specifically did wait until I could see it in 3D because I thought that the, it's the perspective angle, isn't it? You know, it's what, the fact that he's going to walk on the two toes and uh, all on the wire across the two toes and a lot of it is going to be uh, in the air. And it's it's meant to be that sort of that's how it sold itself is that it, it gives you that perspective. It that sold itself as a spectacle, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And right. also because what I remembered was uh, with Robert Zemeckis, I didn't see Flight in the cinema. I saw it at home. And after the first 20 minutes of that film, I wished I'd seen it in the cinema and hopefully in 3D. Because with the, the if people haven't seen Flight, it's the bit with the plane and he flies it upside down and somehow safely lands the plane. Yeah, fucking amazing. Yeah, I was, uh, I was gripping on my feet point. for that one. Yeah, from the, there's that sort of spectacle that we've talked about. 
that was partly what made me think, okay, maybe I will treat this one a bit more seriously with the with the 3D side of it. Um, and I'm glad I did. I thought it looked really good in 3D. And I don't know, in 2D, Callum, how was it? Did you sort of get that sense of scale and um, uh, were you impressed with it? It 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 took a while to be honest. Like like it's clear. Like I was watching. I was clear. I was watching some sort of. I don't really want to say inferior version because 3D does literally nothing for me. But mm. uh, like it's clear. I was watching a film outside of intended. Like of its intended circumstances. The walk itself, um, which is when the film actually does come alive. But I'll get onto that whenever we get on to talk about the film itself outside of these things. Is like is worth it. Like mm-hmm. it's worth the time. It's worth the. It take. It took a while though for it to actually properly engross me. Like like initially, like probably initially, like when you know when Philippe's doing his first walk and everything is kind of like fine. I was kind of just sat there, enjoying. But with this probably in the back of my mind, like not really conscious, but the sort of thing of is this it kind of thing. But then the longer <laughs> it goes on, the more it lingers, and the more shots of it looking down, the more things start to go wrong, and the more Philippe starts with his arrogance, just you know, um, doing things like hopping on one or lying down kind of thing. Like then, like then my fear of heights just started growing and growing and growing, and it became like like this nerve wracking experience like that. Hmm. So yeah, I feel like it is there uh, mainly because Zemeckis is a fantastic popcorn film director. Like oh yeah, else. yeah. He's, he's he's fantastic at that. So the film works on like on a kind of like popcorn breezy level, and Joseph Gordon-Levitt is charming as hell. He he really is here, but I feel the walk falls down the same way most Hollywood biopics these last few years have fallen down, in that it doesn't really have anything to say about its subject besides wasn't this a great man slash wasn't this a great thing. It doesn't really have any sort of insight, like. The, the film's entire philosophy about Philippe doing the walk is basically stated at the start when he goes, why do I risk death? Well, to me, death doesn't, is not a word. It does not even enter my vocabulary. I, to do this is life, is to live. And that's it. It doesn't really want to interrogate me. It doesn't want to interrogate the arrogance and the self-sanitation that it's inherent in his walk here. Like most, it it, it threatens to do it a couple of times, but yeah. it kind of just pushes on instead uh, with most of his behavior just coming out of, oh, Philippe, you rapscallion, you, you cad, you charming, wonderful, Joseph Gordon-Levitt-looking man. And it, it doesn't bother me as much as it should, because again, Zemeckis is a really, 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 really good popcorn filmmaker. But for a film that's two hours long, and also for it to not really have any aims beyond that, it kind of leaves the film feeling a bit empty. Uh, admittedly, I must mention as well, um, our fairness here, I'm pretty sure a film's also meant to be a love letter to the World Trade Center and to those two yeah. towers, mm. um, especially in the way as well that Zemeckis brings them back with CG, but also in a way where it's really obvious that it's CG, but that also works. You know, is it kind of like enhancing the artificiality, how, how they're larger than life? You know mm-hmm. how they like how they were too big and too ridiculous for this world, uh, like and for us to imagine nowadays. And like that works. The problem is, I like, being uh, being a millennial and also being British, I don't really get like the significance, like the the exact kind of like revere and love that Zemeckis clearly has for these towers and that. But it kind of it doesn't really work for me. Like I can't I can't truly understand it. Well, that was quite so, interesting in the film because they have actual like American characters in the film say how ugly the towers are, and mm-hmm. I don't like them. The thing Which with, you, the thing with you the, don't expect from from this sort of film. The thing with the twin towers was it was him that kind of made New York fall in love with them. In reality, this is, everybody in New York hated 
the World Trade Center, like they will have, they were struggling to to fill the offices up because people just didn't want to have anything to do with it. You know, that yeah. it was an eyesore, it was ugly, and him doing that kind of it turned public opinion about the towers. It, mm. it turned public, and everybody suddenly they'd become this amazing part of New York, and they, everybody had to have a piece. Yeah. And yeah, they were, you know, they were hated for a long time, and then kind of they were revered, you know, right up until well, yesterday, I suppose, because people still love them. Mm. But you know, I I kind of see what you mean, although yeah. I do, because yeah. I, the thing with the World Trade Center was to have that there for, I don't think it's a case of, you know, he, he wants to write, do a bit of a love letter to the the Twin Towers because it does the same thing as the documentary does. It mentions them. It doesn't really mention anything else. It's not like it says, oh yeah, now they're no longer here. We all know they're no longer there. And I think it's left alone for that reason. It doesn't doesn't need to be obvious about it. It doesn't need to say, well, you know, we all love them and we all miss them because we do. Well, but isn't like the closing shot just a long sweeping pan of the towers? Yeah, and yeah. Just sort of fades out there as as the lights and everything else just kind of dim out to leave them standing there. It, this is not a subtle film. And also, I'd, I'd also like to say a quick mention as well. I don't like Alan Sebastian's score, which is just it's it's all wrong i feel like i feel like it needs to be more capery instead it tries to wring as much emotion out of every last scene as possible and it comes off as kind of like a parody by accident (laughs) but again that's kind of how he is as a person he is a one giant parody yeah Uh, i think that comes across very well yeah again again if uh, i enjoy it on like the spectacle level at two hours it's too long i would really Uh, recommend uh, watching it in imax as well because holy fuck yeah uh, yeah, yeah. Again, again, at two hours, I feel it's a bit long. Like when, but of course, when the actual walk and set up actually gets going, like then it had my attention was just backed completely. But again, the fact that it doesn't really want to interrogate or say anything about its main character kind of just brings it down a lot for me. It's just, it does embellish a lot about his history as well. The film oh, it, doesn't it leave some stuff out though? It leaves it? a lot of stuff out, but it also, and obviously, you have to take. The, the guy himself, you have to take stuff he says with a pinch of salt, but he said he's never, ever fallen professionally. In practice, yes, but he's never, ever fallen when he's performing, and yet it has him fall pretty yeah. quickly in this film. You know, the, the stuff about the circus and that, as far, as far as I can remember, the stuff I've read about him since the document, I don't think any of that's true at all. And well, also between walking on the Notre Dame de Paris and walking on the two towers, he walked it on the um, Sydney Opera House. He did, I think, and that's that's completely left out. I guess just to save time, it seems to do a huge jump. So, I mean, I, I, treating it as a serious biopic about the actual Philippe Petit is probably the wrong thing to do. Yeah, Whereas you'd be talking like Callum... the documentary. Yeah, exactly. But to, to watch it, like Callum says, as a popcorn, drama-y, adventure type film, it's a bit of a caper that's, you know... It, it's it, very whimsical. Very it's very whimsical. whimsical. It's quite humorous, quite funny. Um, and it has, uh, without a doubt, the single worst CGI seagull in the history of films. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe one of the worst Papa. things I've ever seen. Actually, compared to... The never-ending story stuff. Maybe it looks good, but that's it. <laughs> Bringing it all full circle. Yeah, yeah. Um, good place to end the new release section then. 
and end up with the, a recommendation from each of us for the week ahead. With it being the Rugby World Cup, I'm going to go Thursday, ITV4 and Invictus. More Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood, Morgan Freeman and Matt Damon doing rugby, which is a sentence. That you South African say. rugby as well. Yeah. Hmm. Brooker. I will go a little bit different to what I usually do and... I'll recommend a Blu-ray that's actually been out a couple of weeks, but has had zero marketing and it's just criminal. And everybody needs to go out and buy John Wick on Blu-ray. Yes, yes, you should do that. Go do that. <laughs> go do that. Why haven't you done that? Go do that now. I should also just like to mention as well. It's really fitting considering Warner Brothers' abysmal treatment of that movie in the UK, but of course the Blu-ray came out and has had zero advertisement about it. Okay, Callum. Mm. Just like that there. I'd like to recommend, in addition to Netflix, Buddhist Exchanges of Shaolin which is a classic of Hong Kong martial arts cinema and is absolutely worth your time. And also, I'd like to very quickly plug the fact that next Monday at 8pm on Sky 1, The Muppets starts in the UK, the new Muppets TV series, which um, I've been watching in other means. Hush, hush. hush. Um, and I'm loving. It's it, like at the moment, it, it's a bit iffy at the moment as they try and figure out exactly how they want to pitch it. But assuming they, you know, like, you know, sand off the edges and get it right, it could be the new Footy Rock and Parks and Recreation. Like, it, like it's got that kind of Footy Rock style manic behind the scenes thing and Parks and Recreation's heart in there as well. So really, really loving that show. And Owen? Um, I've got a few to recommend. On TV, on uh, ITV4, in fact, 4pm on Saturday is The Sting with Paul Newman and Robert Redford, um, which is kind of like a heist con man sort of movie. Brilliant. Really, really good. Highly recommend that. But also, added to Netflix recently, is What We Do in the Shadows. Yes. Which, if you've not seen it, you, you've you got to give it a go. It's just absolutely hilarious. From start to its final like scene, it's just all the way through non-stop laughter. Really entertaining and huge amounts of fun. All I'm this, watching it tomorrow night. All this talk of uh, ITV4 and ITV channels and movies has made me decide I'm going to pick, if I win the quiz, one of the Columbo movies that seems to be on <laughs> constantly for you to watch. I just think you'd love that. Sony me. <laughs> so, so many. So you better go put another Sony plug for you. You might get any one yet. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's all for this week's podcast. Me and Owen will be back with another guest or two. I don't know what Owen's got planned this time next week. Well... Um, I can tell you, in fact. Go on, then. Yeah. Next week is uh, Crimson Peak. That's the, the new release. And we've got Carol I was going to say, I've not heard of him before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very good. Uh, Crimson Peak, uh, which is uh, Guillermo del Toro's new film, which I'm looking forward to because The Strain, his TV series, is possibly my most like favourite TV show at the moment. It's bad, but I love it. Um, and Carol Petz and Phil Charman. We'll be on that episode. And we'll probably try and do a Halloween triple bill next week because the week after, the final week um, of uh, October, is Spectre. So that will dominate more than Halloween. Jimmy B. Yeah. So, yes, that's all for this week's podcast. Thanks to everyone who's listened. The Failed Critics Podcast is presented by Steve Norman and Owen Hughes. Created by James Diamond, with original music provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com, remixed by James Yule of JamesYule.com. 
You can find us at failedcritics.com, on Twitter at failedcritics, and Facebook at facebook.com forward slash failedcritics. Thanks for listening. anybody trying to do with it it's just terrible it's just absolutely terrible it's not boring i'll give it that much i've seen really boring movies this year oh, but this just is have to stop stop you there a second Callum. there's a i know I my mum's ringing there's an angry <laughs> angry bee in your room there we, go. <laughs> there we go rejected i'll have to bring her back after we're done how dare I'm, you reject I, I your mother Summer's just around the corner, so give your body the care it deserves with Osea's best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Created by infusing Andaria seaweed in barrels of botanical oils, it leaves skin silky soft and glowing. Plus, it's clinically proven to improve elasticity and deeply moisturize without feeling greasy. It's safe, clean, vegan skincare. Get 10% off your first order at oseamalibu.com with code GLOW, plus free shipping on orders over $60.